Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Get ready as pastor teaches his series, Judge Judy. When you have a chip on your shoulder, there's an indication there's wood from the neck up. And please, we would love to have you as our special guest. Come on out, check our website, www.joychurch.net, for service times and events. We are in installment number two of what we're calling Judge Judy. We began it last weekend. I'll review just enough to get you tracking with me. I have so many uh, wonderful guests here today with us. Can we encourage our guests one more time? Tens and tens of them were honored to have you. Look around you. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing here. This is the most multicultural church in Wilson County. I want you to know that if you're, we say it all the time, if you're prejudiced and you want to get free, this is a great place to be. If you're prejudiced and you don't want to get free, don't let the door hit you on the way out. God's doing something marvelous here. I'm so thankful. This is the perfect church for imperfect people. Like me and like you. We have every denominational background imaginable gathered here together. Uh, we've got uh, everybody that you can imagine. We've got uh, ugly people. We've got, we, well, we have ugly people. And, that, and so we're, th we're thrilled. And, and I understand that. Some of you, I, please understand, I know. I've experienced facial prejudice. Oh, man, is it. This is, a, this is a mean bunch today, I can tell you right off the bat. We're going to get you tracking with us today. There's going to be some mature stuff. We'll have some great communion afterwards, and I'm excited to take it with you. We began to talk to you last time about Judge Judy. I like her. I know she's intimidating and a little bit scary, but I think that she judges well. And I, and I think to start off, once again, our experience today, we've got to have a Joy Church parody of Judge Judy. Check it out. Judge, this is case number 187, Mrs. Hamilton versus the state. All the parties have been sworn in. Thank you, Bird. All right, Mrs. Hamilton, it says here um, that you were speeding. So would you care to tell me why you were doing 65 in a 30? Yeah, well, I mean, I was jamming out to my homegirl, Mandisa, and then, like, I get a lead foot every time I jam out to her, and I saw blue lights, and I'm like, OMG, I am getting pulled over. And that's, that's what happened. 
Mrs. Hamilton, let's just get down to it, the brass tacks. You're not trying to argue with me on whether or not you were speeding. We both know that you were. You've said that you were. I appreciate your honesty. So the penalty for speeding, doing 65 and a 30, would either be 30 days in jail or $30. So, Mrs. Hamilton, what would you rather have, the 30 days or the $30? Well, I'll just take the money. Oh, my. Mrs. Hamilton, uh, have you ever heard the expression that beauty fades, but dumb is forever? I mean, you on your best day are still dumber than me on my worst day when I'm sleeping. You know what? Just get her out of here, bird. I just can't do this. I have a headache. Come on, encourage Cassie and the team. Cassie does some really good imitations. She really, really, really does. Judge Judy judges well, but unfortunately the body of Christ does not. We do not understand this subject matter at all, and we get into ditches all over the place. So let's review very quickly. I'm going to give you four juxtapositions to judging justifiably. Yeah, I know. And I wrote that, and I make that hard on myself, but I said it right. Emily, I said it right. Come on, encourage Emily and Aaron. They did such a good job. So proud of them. Number one, we talked to you about order in the court. We began that last weekend. You have to understand the Bible says, and I know it, Matthew 7, 1, you know it. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Now, unfortunately, it seems like when it comes to very famous people and politicians, that's the only scripture that they know. And they will quote that freely, and normally it's in context of trying to get away with something that they have done. And so they quote it out of context, judge not, you shall not be judged, in order to get away with the murder that they have done. And I want you to know that's not what we're talking about in context. And this is going to surprise you. It did last weekend, and as we review, I'm sure it'll surprise you this weekend. Uh, there are four biblical areas where God actually requires us to judge. We've got to have order in the court. So let's check them out very quickly. Number one, we've got to judge fruit. The Bible says, Matthew 7, verse 20, Jesus speaking. How many believe Jesus? He said, you shall know them, talking about people, by their fruits. It's imperative that you and I actually judge fruit. And here he's not talking about quantity. He's talking about the quality of the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. That's how you know people, not by the size of their ministry or the size of their personality, but do they have love, joy, peace, temperance, goodness, faithfulness, etc., flowing in their life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. How many have ever been to uh, Kroger's? How many have judged the fruit before? You, know, you go and you check out the fruit and the strawberries and melons. My wife, she does that very, very well. And she has never had an employee from Kroger's come to her and go, judge not, you shall not be judged. <laughs> it's important to judge fruit correctly. Second thing that we talked to you about last weekend was judging teaching. It is imperative that you judge teaching in according, accordance to God's word. I tell people this all the time, and me and Aaron are huge on this. Never go to a church that tells you to blindly trust them because they have letters after their name. You need to know the Bible for yourself. Yes. Acts 17, 11, the Bible said that the Berean Christians were more noble because they searched the scriptures for themselves. Now, please listen to me closely. I would appreciate your respect. I've been in ministry 31 years. 
I've got about one-fifth or one-fourth of the New Testament memorized and a whole bunch of the book of Proverbs. And I don't say that to say Yahoo for me. I'll tell you this. The more I know, the more I know I need to know. No question about it. But I do know the book, and I know it better every day. And I've been in ministry 31 years, and so I get some of this stuff. But that being said, I'd appreciate your respect, but I want you to know the Bible for yourself. It's not what I know that's going to make you free. The Bible says in John 8, 32, it's a truth that you know that will make you free. That is good preaching, somebody said. That's right. Thank you, Dad. That's my father. <laughs> Thank God for family, right? Thank God for family. But you've got to know the Bible for yourself. Now, if you do disagree, you're going to have to disagree agreeably and in a mature fashion and not in a way that causes church splits. I want you to understand that. That's just as ungodly. But it is imperative that you know the Bible for yourself. That's imperative. You do that. Third thing that we need to judge in, ladies and gentlemen, is situations. And then the fourth thing that we talked about last weekend is sin. And right away, people get very nervous about that, but it is true. And we saw from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the Corinthians, remember this life point? This is huge. The Corinthians were not in trouble because they were judging. They were in trouble because they were not judging. And there was a man who was committing adultery with his stepmom. And he was saying, Paul said by the Holy Spirit, you guys, I've judged this situation already, and I'm surprised that you have not. Now, we're going to have to do this correctly. If we need order in the court, and there are four areas that we do need to judge, the second thing is also true. Not only do we need order in the court, we must not have contempt of court. Because, all right, now we get it. We're to judge in these four areas, but how should we do it? Because if we don't do it right, man, are we going to mess up. And we begin to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and we continue with the words of Jesus. In verse 1, he said, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Verse 2, he says, watch this now, with what measure that you meet, it shall be measured back to you again. In other words, however you judge, listen to me, folks, is coming back on you. So while we are to judge these four situations, we're biblically required to do so. We got to make sure that we do it with the right heart because whatever we give away, it's coming back in a multiplied form. And Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 3, and he started this verse out with not the two funnest words in the world, thou hypocrite. The Greek word hypocrite is one that speaks behind a mask. Thou hypocrite, how is it that you're judging the speck in another man's eye when you got a log in your own eye? Lumberjack? I mean, it's crazy. Here's Ty, and if he's got a little speck in his eye, and I'm, you know, log man over here with log jam, and I'm over here judging him, that makes me a hypocrite. He said this. He said, first, he said, get rid of the log in your own eye. How many know we got to get first things first? You know, my wife and I, we've been married to be 26 years, July 7th. I love this girl. I love this girl. I love this girl. And I mean, we, we got a really great marriage, but we got to work at it like you do. I remember first year of marriage. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm like most of you guys out there. First year of marriage, I'm a very logical guy. And my wife, she likes Hallmark. How I many know that's not logical? I don't even get it. It's the same movie, different actors, same plot, different actors, same bad acting, different actors. 
And I, I tell you, if I can get five minutes into the thing, I'll go, here's what's going to happen. This is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen, and I'm going to hate every minute of it. <laughs> so we're very different. And so I remember first year of marriage, I remember talking to God on a couple occasions in prayer about my wife. I say, now, God, you know, I need her to change this, and I need her to change that. It's amazing to me. Every time I talk to God about changing her, he always talked to me about changing me. After a while, I got the cue. You know what, Father? She's just good as she is. <laughs> Let's go watch some Hallmark. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get rid of the log out of our eyes first. Then the Bible says we can see clearly to help the person with the speck. He didn't say that we couldn't judge the speck. He just said we've got to judge ourselves first. Remember this life point because it encapsulates everything that we're trying to say, and it's huge. You help others from a place of moral authority. You hurt others from a place of moral superiority or moral hypocrisy. And boy, have I seen some superior, smug, pharisaical people in 31 years of ministry. And man, does that hurt people. So yeah, we are to judge those four areas. We need order in the court, but let's not have contempt of court. We're going to need to do this thing right because how we do it, it's coming back on me. Now, how many ready for new territory? Here we go. I'm excited. That's a good little review. We got communion to take together. Number three, we need the right defense attorney. This is huge as we're going to walk through this thing together. So what do you say? Let's look to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 together. I got some revelation for you here today. Now, this is going to be a little bit more mature, so you're going to have to listen with mature ears. How am I going to do this? If I, if I got to judge rightly and, and, and do this well and not from a place of moral superiority or moral hypocrisy, how am I going to do this? The Bible tells us exactly how to be the right kind of defense attorneys. Here we go. Check it out. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, notice that women aren't. <laughs> if a man be overtaken in a fault, ever say overtaken in a fault. The word overtaken in the Greek language, and those of you that are new, we have so many new folks here. I, I do a lot from the Greek simply because, not to be intellectual, but simply because it brings out a story that the English does not in so many occasions, and that's the case here. The word overtaken is a Greek word pro lumbano, means to be seized upon. So you're overtaken, seized upon, watch this now, in a fault. The Greek word paraptoma. Paraptoma literally means a blunder that you did not intend on getting in. Anybody in the house ever been in a situation it's like, oh, my goodness, you started a blunder and this just started a snowball down the hill and here you are in a place that's like, how did I get here? That was not your intention, that was not your heart, but yet here we are overtaken in a blunder, tangled up in a blunder in a difficult place. And notice here, you which are spiritual. Now, how many want to be spiritual and, and not carnal, not mean and not nasty? You which are spiritual. So here he's going to tell us how spiritual people act. You which are spiritual, restore restore such a one. Everybody say restore. The Greek word katartizo, and it's a medical term. It means to reset a dislocated bone. Anybody in the house ever have a dislocated bone? Man, how many know that that is a painful situation? My, I've never had one, but my father-in-law is an orthopod. For those of you from Watertown, a bone doctor. 
<laughs> and he knows about uh, resetting dislocated bones. Very, very painful situation. And then when it's reset, it's painful for a moment, but then it takes a while. It's a process. A mending occurs, and it can actually become stronger than when it was first dislocated. So he's saying, restore such a one in the spirit of pride. What's it say? In the spirit of meekness. Now, the word meekness is a Greek word, praotes, and it literally means to be teachable. Watch us now. As a spiritual man, as a spiritual person, when we restore, we need to do it with an attitude of being teachable. In other words, when I go to help somebody, I don't go as Captain Charismatic. Here I am to save the day. You know, there, there's Ty and he's all messed up and here I am, super spirit. You know, I'm going to come and set him straight. No, 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 no. Me and the cats, no, we know that's not how you do it. You got to do it in an attitude of being teachable. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. That's the attitude. In a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. You go in with pride, super spirit, all of a sudden you're going to become unfortunately tempted with the same thing that he's dealing with because you're opening your life up to the devil. So you better go in with the right attitude, not a superior attitude, but an attitude of restoration. And notice here, and I'm going to give you two life points that encapsulate what we're trying to say because this will help you. Life point number one, check it out. Another man's pain should be your wisdom. When I go in to help somebody else, I don't go in with a superior smug attitude. Man, his pain is my wisdom. I, I got to learn. Well, I, I, how many know How many know you don't have to commit adultery to get wisdom? You can just look at the life of David and go, you know what? I think I'll pass. That caused him a lot of hassle. Second life point that you need to know, and it's true, and this is huge. Most Christians don't understand this. Forgiveness is before God and takes place in an instant. Restoration is before man and takes place as a process. This is huge. People don't understand that at all. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, you can see the prodigal son. He's forgiven in an instant. That's before God. But when it comes to restoration, it is a process before man. People don't seem to understand that. I watch people. They don't go through that process, and therefore they repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Let's go on to verse 2, Galatians 6. Verse 2, I'm going to look through verse 5. Bear ye one another's burdens. Everybody say bear. bear. Notice that word is not spelled B-A-R-E. That's how most Christians think it's spelled. Now, I'm just going to tell you this, Steve. I, I don't want you to tell anybody else. I'm just going to tell you to, so you can pray. How many of that's a spiritual way to gossip? Thank you for your enthusiasm. So I can tell some of you have been doing that recently. Bear one another's burdens. Now, the word burden here is going to come in handy later on down the road. The word burden is the Greek word baros, and it means heavy, heavy burden. So when I am dislocated, when something on me is dislocated, even the lightest task can become very, very heavy with a dislocated bone. It becomes this heavy burden. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Do unto others as you want it done unto 
you, Matthew 7, verse 12. The law of Christ is if you were the one overtaken in a fault, how would you want to be treated? Would you want to be treated in a smug, superior way, or would you want to be treated like Janelle Stone was treated? Yes, the sin needs to be judged, but the person needs to be loved and restored. For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. There is nothing worse than a self-deceived person because they don't know it. That is the danger of deception is because you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived. Now, I can tell by some of your faces you don't understand that. Let me make it in a way that everybody can understand. You ever have a salad? You know what a salad is. How many won't say anything no matter what I say? You ever have a salad? You ever have a piece of lettuce stuck on your teeth? Didn't know it? Went for a job interview? Still didn't know it? Came home? Looked in the mirror? Ah! Did I just talk to the job that I wanted so badly with that piece of lettuce on my teeth? Deception. Everybody sees it but you. And so when I go in to this person and try to help them, I'm something instead of here's my attitude. I know, and listen, and I know you're the righteousness of God in Christ. I know that and I believe that. But how many know John 15, 5, apart from him, you can do nothing? When I restore people in 31 years of ministry, I've restored a lot of folk. I want you to know when I do it, my attitude is this. One nothing, come and do another nothing, bringing them to everything. And that ought to be your attitude. Cannot go on with this smug thing. Now, I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. Plus, I have the microphone. And I like this story. I remember learning from John Osteen, Joel's dad. John Osteen was much more instrumental in my life and, and instrumental in Joel's life. And I remember learning, he said, always tell the same stories over and over and over again so that your congregation can finish the story for you. True, because it gives them a sense of security. And so I, I, mean, I learned from that. So I tell my same story over and over and over again, and they get better. I'm like, fine cheese. So I'm telling this, I'm going to tell this story. I remember that I was in my 40s, and I'm now 107, so it was a while ago. I'm 54 now, and I was in my 40s. And I used to be, when I was 15 years old, I, I was a lifeguard from when I was 15 to 20. Anybody see me on Baywatch? You ever see me on Baywatch? I was such a hunk on Baywatch. Man, when I was young, I was a hunky dude. But now, radio face. And so I, I remember uh, we were walking, me, my wife, and my mom and dad. My dad's since gone on to be with the Lord. We were way away from everybody as far as the beach was concerned and as far as lifeguards were concerned. And we were just out in the middle of nowhere. And we knew it was God orchestrating our steps that day. Way out in the distance, about 75 yards out, Michael, in the, in the ocean, my wife spotted the person first. Someone was drowning. And now I'm the only game in town. There's no lifeguard. There's, there's nothing. And no David Hasselhoff, just me. And so I, 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 so I swam out there. And, I mean, it, you know, it had been, I was 40-something. So it had been decades since I was a lifeguard. And I was, as I was swimming out there, I was trying to remember all the stuff that they taught me in lifeguard school, you know. And, and the first thing they tell you is, you got to calm the drowning person because if you don't, they panic and they jump on you because they're panicked. And then you got a double drowning. 
saw him swimming out there, and as I got to this woman, I thought from a distance it looked like a little boy. Uh, but when I got out there, and I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just telling you facts, this was a woman who was well over 300 pounds. And I was thinking in my in what I was going, dear me, don't jump on me, woman. Don't, don't you jump on me. Don't, don't you do it. I'm just trying to be honest. And so, and so I got out there and I, I got up closer. I said, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm here. I need you to calm down for me. And I w- walked her through it. And, and I, there's a certain way you have to swim her in. I won't try to describe all of that. But I swam her all the way in. And by the time, she's a heavy woman. By the time I got this woman all the way into shore, and I'm 40-something, I was pretty doggone tuckered out. And, I mean, she was so embarrassed. I got, I got her to say she was so embarrassed, she did not even say thank you. So I grabbed her hand, swam her back out. <laughs> I'm kidding about that last part, but everything else was true. Now, a couple hours after that thing, I was feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I'm not as holy as you are. I was just feeling good about it, and I, and I think you should to some degree. But maybe I was feeling too good. And God began to talk to me, not with these ears, but very clearly here in my spirit. And he asked me a question. Now, how many know when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer? He's not asking your advice. <laughs> how many know he says, Adam, where are you? He knows, but he wants to show Adam, Adam. But here's the good thing about God. Anything that he reveals, he heals. So I learned a long time ago, when God asks you a question, don't lie about it because he already knows the answer. So he said this, son, in here in my spirit, and I like when he starts with son. That's what, that gave me a good feeling. Son, he said, that woman you saved a couple hours ago, you liked that, didn't you? Now, remember, you got to be honest. So I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, very clearly, just remember this. There's one Savior, and you're not him. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah, I get you, sir. He was trying to teach me a ministry lesson because we can feel pretty smug coming in and helping some folk. You all looking at me so holy. I don't have to tell you my personal conversations with God. But I do anyway, because anything God reveals, he heals. Isn't that right? He wanted to heal something in me that day. We got to be cautious. When we're restoring people, we don't have that attitude. Here I am, David Hasselhoff, to save the day. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In other words, this, guys, listen, my job to help you get restored, but it's your job to apply it. Because one day you're going to stand, all of us are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, Romans 14, 10 through 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. We're going to all sit at the stand of the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done in the body. So how many know, man, we better get this thing right. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't that sound? I mean, you might be going, wait, I saw verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens. Now it says, every man shall bear his own burden. Aha! I found a contradiction in the Bible. It's not inspired by God. I knew it all the time. That's only because you don't know the Greek language. 
It's no contradiction at all. It's absolutely a compliment. This word burden is completely different. It is the Greek word fortion. Do you remember Jesus? Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he's what, here's what he said. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden for Tion is light. For Tion in the Greek language is an easy, light task. It is a burden, but it's light. Your burden, my burden, this light is our destiny. You ever see where Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Your cross, you're not to go to the cross. Your blood is not divine. It's not going to help anybody for you to go to a cross. But what we are to do is pick up our cross. That's our God-given destiny, not our own plan, but his. It is a burden, but it's a light burden. And we must bear our own burden. You're going to have to be all in to do it. You're going to have to be a committed believer. It's light, but we have to go all in. And notice here, he said, I want you that are spiritual to restore those overtaken in a blunder so that one day they can pick up their own destiny by themselves and walk with me. Now, I'm a simple man, just like you are. I like things done in picture form. So I've asked Chad and a couple of his guys to help out for a moment. I think this will help you tremendously. Come on, Chad. Man, we got the good thing we got a couple of muscular guys right here. And this is all right right here. All right, Chad. Now, I watched Chad do this yesterday. By the end of the example, it looked like he was trying to push off a hernia. <laughs> so you two strong men, we got you stay close by, you know. Now, let me give you this everyday example, all right? And this, this ought to help you out in a very, very, very uh, understandable, picture-oriented way. Here we are. We got folks overtaken in a fault. There's Chad. He's overtaken in a fault. And you know, dear me, look at Chad. Bound to be three or four faults that, that he's dealing with. And, and that, was, that was a little judgmental, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so we've got now some spiritual men of God. And they've come alongside of Chad. And, and they want to help him out. They want to restore him. They want to mend him. They want to uh, relocate that dislocated bone. And so here they are. And they're now beginning to bear that burden. And most of us think, okay, I, I get it. What we're supposed to do is kind of come alongside the guy overtaken in a fault, and we're supposed to lift up his arms and help him bear that. But nothing could be further from the truth because I want you to see this. If these guys that are bearing the burden are simply there just to bear it, once Chad begins to get well, he will not depend on God. He'll depend on them. And now they are not burden bearers, they are burden enablers. Listen, I see this. We have Christian counselors that come to this church, and I thank God for every one of you. They understand this here. They're wonderful, and they do a great job, what I'm about to say. Here at Joy Church, we offer free biblical counseling. Our staff pastors do that. Can't take advantage of that because they've got a lot of other responsibilities. But we offer free biblical counseling. It's free. It's a, it's a blessing. They're wonderful, and, and thank God. But we have a rule here. You're only allowed six of those counseling sessions per year. And the reason that we have it is not to be mean is because we do not want you to develop perpetual counseling syndrome. What's the goal of restoration? 
so that you can rejoice in yourself alone and not in another. We don't need burden enablers. We need burden removers. And that's the goal of restoration, not to come alongside and lift up for forever. The goal is that Shad is free so that he can stand alone before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the goal of restoration is now Chad is ready to restore somebody else. Give our three men a big hand, my son. Can you see this? Remember this life point because this encapsulates everything that we're trying to say in this lesson. Are you getting help today? Check it out. There should be more mediation and restoration, less accusation and condemnation. The body of Christ does not understand that. Now, can you see this? In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21, do you remember the disciples? Do you remember the Bible? Do you remember Jesus? You got the disciples, and a couple of them, a few of them are fishermen. The Bible says in Matthew 4 and verse 21, the disciples were mending their nets. Now, the disciples, I'm a big fisherman, but they didn't fish like we fish. They fish with these big giant nets. And many times they'd get this big load of fish in the nets, and as a result of the load, the net would break. And many times they'd have to mend those nets. And how they do it is they put those big, large nets out in the sunlight. They take some balm or some salve, and they put that on the ropes in the net and let it harden in the sun. And after it hardened in the sun for a while, those nets would actually become stronger than before they broke in the first place. And then before you know it, they could catch more with a repaired net than they could before it broke in the first place. That, my friends, that word mending in the Greek language, is the same Greek word, katartizo, to reset a dislocated bone. And that picture of that net being mended is a picture of what God wants to do with those of you here who are broken or overtaken in a fall. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, then you better start believing the Bible because I've got some biblical examples. You remember Samson, the steroidomaniac. You remember that. You remember his whole deal. Man, what happened? He, he began to have sex with Delilah, and you know the whole deal. God in lust over the whole thing. They cut his hair. They plucked out his eyes, and he was in bondage, uh, blinded and grinding. But then all of a sudden, the Bible says in the Kings, I love this, man, it's such a powerful verse. It says, the roots of Samson's hair begin to grow back. And when, when that was about the root. How many know if you got roots and there's people in here that you're a long way off from God, but your roots are still talking to you? They're calling you back. You can't get away from your roots. And so that roots begin to grow and his strength began to return, and you know the story. A little boy, so bring that little boy over here, and that little boy led him to the two pillars. You remember that? And he said, Lord, I love this. God, remember me one more time. Woo, man, he felt the steroids kick in again. <laughs> and he pushed down those pillars, and he took out more of the enemy at the end of his life than he ever did while things were going well with him. Catartizo. Do you remember David 
Aaron and Emily so wonderfully sang about him. Well, I mean, the guy's after a man after God's own heart, but we also tend to forget that the guy committed adultery and had Uriah the Hittite killed and lied about it. But yet, if you study your Bible in the millennial reign, there's coming a thousand-year millennial reign that the Bible talks about and prophesies about in Isaiah 65 and the book of Revelation, and a thousand-year millennial reign, the key old covenant figure will be King David. The key new covenant king, uh, figure in the millennial reign will be Jesus Christ. But yet, here's David as an adulterer and as a liar and as a murderer, and it cost him. It cost him a lot cost him some of his family. But at the end of his life, he became a better king than he ever was before he fell in the first place. How many know the process of catartizo, restoration, is at work? The woman that David committed adultery with, Bathsheba, became the Proverbs 31 woman. Most of you don't know that. That's Bathsheba that's being referred about in Proverbs 31. She is the role model for all of womankind since, yet she was an adulteress. The process of catartizo, restoration, is at work. You remember Peter? You remember, you, you know, I mean, he will, I mean, they walk on water, Matthew 14, Peter. Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18. Who do men say that I am, Jesus said. Well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, not Peter, but the revelation that thou art the Christ, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, oh, that's a powerful revelation. But yet, here he is walking on water, best revelation ever, blessed art thou, and now Jesus is going to be crucified. And some little woman by the palace says, hey, aren't you with the Jesus gang? And Peter started cussing. Beep, beep, beep. And how many know after beep, beep? But then Jesus was resurrected. And all of a sudden, one of the women came to the tomb and an angel met her there to go and tell the disciples and watch these two words. And Peter, that he's risen. And he goes through the process of restoration in John 21. Simon, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And now here it is in Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes in. Peter's the leader among leaders, preaches the first gospel message. 3,000 folks get saved goes to the gate, beautiful, in Acts chapter 3, and heals that crippled guy, him and John. They get persecuted for it. He doesn't deny God. Now he says, you tell me whether it's better to obey God or man, Acts 4.19. And in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says people came from all over just to get in Peter's shadow so they could be healed. How many know that Peter has been restored? The process of catartizo has worked in his life. You say, well, I don't, those are biblical folks, all right? I've got two other words that will convince you, Janelle Stone. 
You saw her up on our video in the announcement. She's sitting in the second row. She's one of the leaders in this church. I'm telling you, the process of restoration works if you'll work through it. Because listen to me. Here's what I've discovered about yesterday. It ended last night. Now, before we take communion together, I've got an acid test for you to see whether God is finished with you or not. Because I can tell. Some of you are going, oh, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You're right and you're right. But I've got an acid test to you because you'll be able to find out real quick if God is done with you. And if he is, you might as well not take communion. You might as well just get on out of here. You ready? Take your right hand. Put it over your heart. If it's still beating, God is not done with you.